Today we're going to look at what it means to serve together. Um, and I would encourage you, if you haven't, to go back and listen to the previous messages online. Um, they, they're all connecting together. They all build on one another. And they all give us a bigger picture of what our identity as the church is. And today we're going to look at more of that. Um, as we've considered the past few weeks, just as a review and just reminding, reminding ourselves, um, this is our identity, that, that this morning we are gathered as uh, the church. We didn't come to church. This building and the address we're, we're in uh, just houses us um, as we gather the church. We are the church. Last week, Dan reminded us that we don't come together to worship, but we come together as worshipers. This past week, we were scattered out into our little circles, scattered worshipers in the world, pockets and corners of our workplaces and our neighborhoods. And this morning, we gather as worshipers in a unique way. Um, God's presence is with us by His Spirit. He's with us when we're out on our own, and He's with us here in a unique way when we gather. Um, He is interceding for us. He is um, helping illuminate God's Word to us. The Spirit is active with us. And we're continuing our worship. We're not, we didn't come to worship. We're continuing it this morning, hopefully. Throughout this series, you've heard Dan point to various scriptures that describe the church. The Bible uses different metaphors for the church, uh, probably familiar to a lot of us. It's called the body of Christ. The church is described as a family. It's the bride of Christ waiting for the day we, we can be joined with its bridegroom, Jesus, forever, fully. And Dan's also used the metaphor that the church is, a, is, um, is, is an embassy in a foreign land. We are in a foreign land. We are sojourners through here, and, and God has put us here in this foreign land as ambassadors in an embassy that we might represent him. It's another picture that uh, Dan has brought up. And, and we've used many metaphors for the church before, like it's an outpost. It's a, it's a warship. It's a battleship, not a cruise ship. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different metaphors we can use. So this morning, I want to insert two more that the Bible talks about into the church, two more metaphors the Scripture uses that I think uh, speak right into this topic of serving together. And Heidi um, alluded, I mean, she read a couple passages, and, and maybe you heard them in there, and we're going to actually see them from cover to cover. Um, I want to look at them as, uh, with the purpose of seeing how they inform why and how we serve in the church, and most importantly, who we are serving. So we're going to go over a lot of Scripture cover to cover, looking at these two metaphors for the church that we just heard. Did you hear them? Did you hear them? One is a temple. The church is a temple. And another one is we're a kingdom of priests. We're priests. So temple and priests. We're going to look at those two metaphors in scripture. How many of you, when you think of the word temple have a, and priests, have a warm, cuddly feeling when you think of those words? Um, when you think of temple, do you think of like a stone building, like in an Indiana Jones movie? Uh, or do you think of like some high place with like frills and whatever on it, um, like in our architecture? Um, when you think of a priest, do you think of a guy in black with a white mock turtleneck or something, you know? What do you think of when you think of temple and priest? A lot of it, a lot of those images, a lot of when we think of those words, they don't conjure up good, maybe warm, fuzzy images. But my hope this morning is that we can demystify these terms, uh, to get out of our cultural context, to hear these terms the way the original Bible authors and readers wrote and heard them. Why? Because they're used over and over again in Scripture to describe this beautiful thing called the church. 
because the tabernacle and the temple take up more geography in the pages of Scripture than almost any other subject other than God himself. And once we understand these two ways of describing the church, that they would inform how we are to serve in the church and how we would think about serving here at WCC, which is our topic this morning. So here we go. Warning, we're going to go at like U2 spy plane elevation. Uh, you know, stratospheric heights, and we're going to go supersonic speed through, through all of Scripture. As Dan said last week, it's hard when you're doing a, t- a topical uh, study. It's like hard to know where in Scripture to go. So I decided we'd go through all of it because um, I thought it might be easier. Um, so we're going to do that. So I'm going to whip through this. Um, and, uh, and so just be prepared. Uh, scriptures mostly will be up, uh, up on the screen, I think. So don't, don't feel like you're, you know, you'll get sparks on your thumbs trying to follow through the Bible. So don't, like, don't worry about it. They'll be up on the screen. So um, first, let's define our terms. Uh, a temple in the Bible is simply a place where God's space and our space is the same space. It's one way to say it. Where God meets man and man meets God. It's where God makes his dwelling place, and it's where man has access to God. That's the simplest way to break it down. A priest in the Bible is someone who represents God to man and man to God. He's a mediator. A priest's priest's role was to guard and protect, to guide and to judge. Guard, protect, guide, and judge. Um, That's the simplest way to think of it. And, And it's meant to be a beautiful picture, not a scary one or a cold one, regardless of our culture or context here. Then there's this added adjective. Did you hear it? Royal priesthood. A kingdom of priests. What does that mean? Um, A royal priest in the Bible does not just have priestly duties, guarding, protecting, judging, but kingly ones as well. Ruling, multiplying, and expanding territory. Uh, The idea that there would be no separation of these roles, uh, that the same people can do both. There's a priest king and a king priest. They could do the same thing. That was God's original intent for his people. We'll see that as we unfold scripture together. Wherever we see one, we see the other. Temples and priests go together. And we also see three things over and over again when we look at them together. We're going to see, number one, God's presence. Number two, we're going to see God's people. And number three, God's purposes. So if you're a note taker, here's an outline of what we're going to do. Number one, at every temple slash priest stop along the way from Genesis to the New Church, to the New Testament church, we're going to look for A, God's presence, um, B, God's people, and C, God's purposes. His presence, his people, and his purposes. And then number two, then based on all that, we're going to remember A, who we're serving, B, why we're to serve, and C, how we are to serve. I don't know why I did one, two, three when it was ABC, but anyway. Uh, number three, we're going to look forward to where it's all heading, okay? That's kind of the outline. So um, I know I'm going quick, um, but uh, yeah, you can always listen to this online if you miss something, if it was worth listening to. Uh, first stop, Genesis 1-3, the first stop on our journey, Genesis 1-3. through 3. So you can, you can turn there if you want really quick, but God's presence in Eden. We're going to look at God's presence in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is the first picture of a temple in Scripture, if you will. All the verbs in the, te- in, in that, in the Garden of Eden are God formed, God breathed, God put, God took, God brought, are all words indicating nearness. Genesis 2, God brought Eve to Adam, not sent Eve to Adam. He brought her. It's a, it's a verb of nearness. 
He's there. He's present. He's sharing the same space. Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of to hear that word, presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I said this before, I love this, I can't stop saying it, that God was there, he was intended to be with his people. You could hear physical feet on physical ground, making physical sound waves to physical ears. God was there. His presence was there. Number two, God's people in Eden. Adam and Eve are the first picture of what a royal priest looks like. Genesis or 127, God created man in his own image. Adam and Eve are image bearers. As image bearers, they represent God's rule over the Garden of Eden. That's what it means to bear his image, to, to, to share in his rule over it. Look at the words subdue and dominion in, 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 in verse 28. These are words that mean to rule, to use, to wield, to they're royal, they're kingly words. Genesis 2.15, look at the verbs, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. These are priestly words. So you have royal words and you have priestly words. The words work and keep are priestly words. Work is another word for worship or service in the Bible. Keep is a word for protect or guard. And whenever these words are used together in the Old Testament, it's, it's almost always referring to priestly service in the tabernacle or the temple. Whenever work and keep are used together in Scripture in the same context, it's almost always a priestly um, description. Almost always. God's purpose. So we have God's presence, God, God's people in Eden. Now we have God's purpose in Eden. And this is just our first stop, so just buckle up. We're, I'm going to go faster. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What's God's purpose here? To expand Eden, to encompass uh, the earth, to have Adam and Eve multiply into more Adam and Eves, Adams and Eves, to cultivate and spread this garden, which only at the time occupied a small space in the globe, right? The Garden of Eden was only like in Mesopotamia, but God said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So the garden was to spread and expand over the entire globe in this kind of way, God's presence, God's people, and God's earth. That was his intent. Royalty, uh, it expands the kingdom. That's what royal, uh, that's what kings want to do. They want to expand their kingdom to grow, grow, grow. But man, as we know, from the third chapter on, from the fall, uh, has literally been hell-bent to occupy their own space without God in it. That's, the, that's where we find ourselves now in this broken world. We're born not wanting God in our space. We want to be our own king, our own God in our own space. Thank you very much. But God's not surprised. Out of all the nations of the earth, he picks one nation. He says to, to this nation um, that we, 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 um, we didn't read this earlier, but Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, he's talking, to, he's talking to the nation of Israel. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession treasured possession among all the peoples, for the, all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Same, first Peter, or Peter quoted this, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Next stop is Exodus and the tabernacle. The word tabernacle means dwelling place or tent, and God gives Moses the plans for this mobile tent of meeting, a mobile temple, if you will, so that God can be with his people and they can be with him as they wander through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, their permanent dwelling. 
place that God promised them. The tabernacle had three spaces in it. In the innermost space called the most holy place where only the high priest could go one day a year to make atonement for the people on the day of atonement. There was a five inch thick curtain, 30 by 30 uh, feet, uh, 30 feet tall, 30 feet wide um, that separated it, um, God's presence from the rest of the, the nation. This most holy place from everything else. So God's presence in the tabernacle was limited to that, that space. And Exodus 25, 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, there now had to be a separation from God and his people or they would die. People burn up in God's presence, his holy presence. In this tabernacle, God can at least be present in a limited way with one people group, the Israelites. His presence is limited to the 30 by 30 by 30 cube. In the middle of this tabernacle called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And it says in Exodus 25, 22, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So that's where God met them. Very limited, okay? That's God's presence in the tabernacle period. God's people in the tabernacle, there are 12 tribes. Yes, I'm going fast, but I promise it'll all have a point at the end. Just hang with me. There are 12 tribes of God's chosen people, Israel. Instead of all of them being royal priests like God originally intended Adam and Eve to be, um, only from one tribe could the priests come, the tribe of Levi. Out of 12 tribes, only one tribe could produce priests, and only one tribe, Judah, could produce kings. God never intended that. Um, so, so from Adam and Eve to Jesus, God's people never had royalty and priesthood shared in the same place until Jesus came to fulfill that. And all of the, all the history of the Old Testament from Adam and Eve to Jesus, the royalty and the priesthood were separate. That's not God's intent for his people. Only one tribe could be priests. Only one tribe could be, could be kings. God's purpose in the tabernacle so we have God's presence, God's people, and now we have God's purpose. Leviticus 20, 26 says, you shall be holy to me. This is God's purpose here. He wants to separate them. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. They're his. They're his treasured possession. It's not a, it's not a cruel ownership either. It's a loving one, although they always didn't see that. So he's preserving a people for himself. Leviticus 26, 9 through 13 says, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. This is another purpose God has for them. Note the similarity of the garden, right? Like this is the same mandate we see God give Adam, but he tells Adam, you go be fruitful and multiply. But here, because the people are sinful, because humans are broken, he says, I'm going to make you fruitful and multiply. I'm going to do it for you. It's still God's intent, though, to fill the whole earth with, this, with his people, right? Next stop, the first and second temples. David, the first real king of Israel after Saul, coming from the kingly tribe of Judah, decides that he wants to build a God, God a house, but Yahweh God says to David, no, I'll build you one. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We know that Solomon, David's son, did actually build uh, the, the, the first temple, um, but that's not the ultimate fulfillment of this verse. The ultimate fulfillment of this verse is found in Jesus, of course, ultimately. Jesus is the offspring of David. He's of the tribe of Judah who would build the house for God's name. 
So God's presence in the first and second temples, at at the dedication of the first temple by Solomon, God's presence was still in in it as much like the tabernacle. The difference is that the tabernacle was a mobile home (laughs) and, and the temple was on a foundation, if you will. There was still a 30 by 30 by 30 holy of holies in the temple, the center of where God's presence was. There was still a curtain. This first temple that Solomon had built was destroyed, however, um, and a second one was built. The people were unfaithful to God and broke the covenant. And interestingly, interesting, interestingly, though, unlike the tabernacle in Exodus and the temple Solomon built, there's no record of God's presence or his glory coming to the second temple when it was built 70 years or so later. There's another temple built when the people came back after exile, and, and there's no record of God's presence coming into that temple until Jesus comes 400 years later. Jesus enters the temple, and that's the first time we see God's presence in that second temple. God's people. Solomon eventually became more interested in building his kingdom than God's. The kingdom divided between his two sons, so the royal line was corrupted. The priesthood came, became corrupt, and, and Solomon was a king, not a priest, and, 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 but the priesthood also became corrupt, more interested in serving and protecting themselves than the people. So the first temple came and went when the Babylonians came in and destroyed it and the people were exiled to Babylon. They eventually came back, as I said, and they built the second temple because the people still wanted to hold on to this idea that God was their God and they were God's people. They, they kind of clung to the promises, but kind of didn't. And then God's purposes in the first and second temple, <clears throat> the same as his purpose has always been to establish a people a kingdom that would grow. But because of the people's wickedness, it rendered these temples pointless and empty. Next stop on our journey. We have two more. Jesus. God's presence in Jesus. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Just like at the tabernacle, God's glory was present and visible, so God's glory was visible and present in Jesus. Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When Jesus came to earth, he was, the, he was the place to meet God. He was where his followers could be with God. He made his dwelling place among us. He tabernacled with us is what that literally means. That's God's presence and then God's people in Jesus. John 1, it says that Jesus came to his own and his own people, the Israelites, did not receive him. In fact, they killed him, right? We know that. They killed him. The priesthood was completely corrupt. The royal line was gone and the nation was occupied by a foreign king in Rome. So Jesus has to become the Israel that the people are not. He becomes the successful Adam where the first Adam failed. He is the ruler that Adam and all of Israel's kings failed to be. He is the priest that Adam and all of Israel's priests failed to be. So God's purpose in Jesus is to fulfill the temple, to fulfill the royal priesthood. And so in John 2, as I referenced uh, before, maybe, I, I don't know if I did or not, we see Jesus entering the temple and overturning the money tables because he sees the priests taking advantage of the people for their own gain and not for God's glory. And then in John two eighteen, it says this, So the Jews said to him, 
what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you Um, And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And then in Matthew 27, 50 through 51, Jesus cried out on the cross the last time with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain, the 30 by 30, five inch thick curtain, separating the most holy place from everything else, ripped from from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. This is what God's purpose in Jesus ultimately was, to fulfill his purposes that he began with Adam and Eve. Jesus was not only the true royal priest, but he was the true temple fulfilling every piece of it. He was the sacrificial lamb whose, whose blood was spilt, dying on the cross once and for all for sins, fulfilling the, the altar in the temple, um, not just atoning, but removing sin and thereby getting rid of any need for an altar in the temple. His body was the curtain torn in two, giving access to the throne of grace. He is the high priest representing us to God and God to us. He is the place where we can be with God, Emmanuel. When Jesus raised from the dead, he fulfilled everything about the temple. And he became the cornerstone of the new third temple that we're about to talk about, that all of God's people are part of now. Last stop on our journey the church. God's presence in the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Ephesians 2.22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. That's God's presence in the church. God's people in the church. Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the dwelling place of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So right now, the church is where man meets God. We are the temple. And right now, we are the priesthood where we, we represent God to the world, to the nations, and the nations to the world. We, by bringing people into this kingdom with us. So that's God's presence, God's uh, people in the church, and now God's purpose in the church. 1 Corinthians 3.10. This is, this is talking about our service. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. The foundation, right? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each, has, each one has done. And the day, meaning the day of the Lord, when God comes uh, a second time to judge um, the living and the dead, to the day of the Lord when, when he brings about his new earth and new heavens. Everything's going to be judged. Uh, uh, all the works that are, that are, that are uh, kingdom 
minded kingdom built on the foundation will last and all the ones that are not will burn. Ephesians 2.21, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. So God's purposes haven't changed at all. He wants the new temple called the church to grow to expand, to be fruitful and multiply. It's a living structure with living stones that grow as more stones get added day by day. That's you and me. God wants us to be a holy and royal priesthood, a holy nation, only not to be separate from the nations, no, but, but to proclaim, 1 Peter 2, 9, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we always quote Matthew 20, 28, when Jesus gave this great commission to his disciples, that's the same mission from Eden to now God's purpose remains to fill the whole earth with his people, that he might dwell with all the nations. That's it. Same purpose. He wants the whole earth as his dwelling place and all peoples to be his treasured royal priesthood, always growing and expanding. So there you have it. There's our supersonic uh, zip through high level uh, speed through tour of, of, of the Old Testament and up to the church age where we are now. How does it inform how we serve the church. Number one, who are we serving? We're serving Yahweh God, a personal God, a covenant relationship God, a God who has done everything in the course of history, everything at the expense of his own son, Jesus, to bring us to himself. A God who loves us so much that he would spend his son out, pour his son's blood out so he can bring his purposes about to bring a nation to himself so that he might dwell with us forever. That's who we're serving, a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who would go to every length and has for us to be with him in his new creation. That's who we're serving. Why? Why are we to serve here in WCC? Why? Why are we supposed to do this? God chose one tribe, out of 12 to be the servants of the rest, the Levites. They were the priests. They were the priests of the nation. They were chosen by blood. It was their identity. They didn't volunteer. They didn't get assessed or tested. For their abilities. They didn't get tested for their abilities to be priests. They were chosen by birth to serve as priests. Just like the Levites, Paul and Peter called the church priests. It's part of our new creature, born-again identity. It's who we are. We were bought with the blood of Jesus, so by his blood we were chosen. Serving is what priests do. Serving is our identity. If you're a saint, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a servant. You are. It's who you are. Can't, can't, it's not your choice, actually. Um, it's, it's, it's created in you to be one. It's what marks us as people set apart for the rest of humanity. In an earthly kingdom, the kings are separate, right? Kings are separate from servants. You know, you got the king on the hill and you got the peasants and the people. They do everything to serve him. But in God's kingdom, uh, he wants the priests, the servants, and the rulers to be the same thing. The people who expand the kingdom are the ones who serve the most for the kingdom. That's, That's what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus was the king of kings, right? was also the servant of servants, the high priest who served. He was the model royal priest. 
Jesus said about himself in Mark 10, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom of many. Why are we to serve? Because it's our identity as royal priests in God's kingdom. And as such, we are to be about God's purposes of growing his church throughout the world. So that's why you make coffee here. That's why you change diapers here. That's why you, if you were here last night, um, blowing up walls. Um, That's why you play an instrument here. So how are we to serve? We often talk about serving in our giftedness. It's one of our core pursuits. It's a really good pursuit. We want each person here to, to find and assess what their gifts are so that they can find a place where they can use those gifts that God gave them to serve the church, to serve his purposes for the church, to grow it, to expand. It's a great goal. It's a good thing. If you have taken biblical distinctives or are now or will uh, next time, the last class is all about assessing your spiritual gifts. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to take that assessment through that course. It's a good thing, but it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. We want people to serve in areas where they're gifted. We also strive to help people find out where their passions are so they can serve in those areas too. We want to find areas in which people have the capacity to serve as well. And then we also want to point people in the areas of service that have the greatest need. So we have gifting, and we have passion, and we have uh, capacity, and we have need. I don't know about you, but in my experience, it's hard to line up all four of those things at the same time. It's hard. You may have a gifting and a passion and not the capacity to do it. Um, you may have a, a gifting, but, the, but not the passion to do that gifting. That's rare, but it can happen. Um, you may have a passion in an area, but you're not particularly gifted in it, and so on. So when, those, when one of those four things is missing, um, we, we need to be patient, humble, and obedient as, as, as servants, as royal priests in God's kingdom. Something that personally I excel in, I don't know about you, um, I'm really patient, I'm really humble, and I'm really obedient uh, all the time. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's, that's hard, right? When, when, when I, I don't want to serve in an area I'm not passionate about. It's just like burns me out, right? So am I not, it's hard. So how can I be humble, patient, and obedient in that? So different families from, from the tribe of Levi also had different roles in serving in the tabernacle based on their family group. So, so some of them were in charge of the poles that, that held up the tabernacle, the tent, and some were in charge of the animal skins and the curtains covering the tent. Some did sacrifices. Some were in charge of the ark. Only Moses' brothers, uh, Aaron's uh, sons, could touch any part of the Holy of Holies. If anybody else did, they would die. Um, what if they weren't passionate about it? What if they weren't gifted in that area? What if one of them didn't want to be on pole duty, but someone wanted to be on arc duty? Um, It didn't matter. No one asked them. They weren't assessed, and they didn't audition for those roles. They were appointed those roles by their blood. Honestly, um, you know, we can take pride in any of those four things, our capacity, passion, need, and gifting, and make an idol of them. And before we know it, we're serving that idol, not God. See, see we, we are priests. We are servants. And sometimes those things don't line up. Here are some application points for us to consider. 
Sometimes you just got to serve where God puts you regardless of your passions or skills. Sometimes you may not feel like serving. Sometimes you need to serve out of obedience. It's in your blood. The priests who serve in the temple would also serve at a rotating basis based on their particular uh, family and duties in their tribe. And they wouldn't serve year-round, but they would rotate throughout the year and rest between serving, so more applications. Sometimes you're serving too much and just too long and, and just doing it out of obedience and, and you get burned out or you're not making room for someone else to serve. There's a fine line between serving out of obedience and guilt. And so sometimes we're too overloaded out of whatever reason and we need to, we need to take seasons to where so, someone else can come up and serve as well. The new parents, this is just all by way of application from all these things. The new parents, we have a lot of parents in here, new parents in here, who stop serving in the church because they're serving their child and family. Could be making an idol out of their child and their identity as parents. It might not be so, but it's possible. They could be being wise and recognizing uh, the season of their life, um, that the Lord gives us different capacities in different seasons. You just have to ask yourself that question, if that's you. The parents who don't stop serving and don't miss a beat, regardless of a new child, could be serving out of their identity as royal priests, building God's church, or they could be making an idol out of their service and their identity in their great capacity to serve. Their ability to keep pressing on regardless of what life brings to their family. They could be equally prideful, idolatrous, and dangerous. You just need to ask yourselves that question. What's your motivation? Is it, out of, out, is it to gain identity or is it out of your identity? Some of us who always see a need and fill a need, you know, see a need, fill a need people. There's a lot of those in this church. This church is an awesome, awesome body of servants who are always looking for ways to serve, could be doing it out of faithfulness to our calling as a church, out of identity as servants. But where I get hung up, I don't know about you, sometimes in my pride and idolatrous heart, and some others of you maybe can relate to this, uh, we may look really good serving, or we, we might like, wow, commended like for our service and serving and serving, but we're really finding our identity in being needed in being useful, in being wanted, or seeing quick results and fruit in what we do, and that purpose gives us identity. Sometimes need is an idol, serving in need. Like for me, it can be an idol because I just like being useful, and I can make an idol of, of that. I really can. I don't know if you can relate. I could keep going with examples like that. We don't have time. The enemy doesn't want us, listen to this, the enemy doesn't want us to serve God. He wants us to serve our idols while it looks like we're serving God. The enemy doesn't want us to serve God. He wants us to serve our idols while it looks like we're serving God. So we just need to assess our heart. Like, are we serving to gain identity? Are we serving out of our identity as royal priests? In Exodus 35, um, and they're building the tabernacle. I love this passage. Um, it, it talks about people who are using their gifts and their abilities, and, and everyone's like, their hearts are into it. They're building this, this tabernacle. They can't wait. They're giving so many resources to it. And in and, and one verse in, in Exodus 35, you can read about it later, but the people set out to build the tabernacle. And here's just a couple of verses. Every skillful woman, it says, spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun. The tabernacle was filled with like, woven 
like curtains everywhere. It was huge. And so many, many people had to work on this thing. And so every skillful woman spun with her hands. So it's talking about skill, giftingness, and using it for the building of the tabernacle. And then the next, another verse, and I have filled him, talking about this guy named Bezalel, with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. So this guy was gifted. And he used his gifts. God gave, gave him the gifts, and he used those gifts to build a tabernacle to make it beautiful, because it was a beautiful thing. And later on, the temple was a beautiful thing. Same thing. Solomon had to turn away people from giving so much to the temple. So, application point. Sometimes you have amazing gifts, but aren't using them because you're too busy in building your own kingdom. Um, I know I I can do that. Uh, Any of us can do that. Or we're too shy, or we lack the passion to do it because, frankly, we don't see how it fits in God's larger um, picture, God's larger purposes. We don't see how it connects. And so that's part of the purpose why I wanted to see all of Scripture, this arc of God's purpose in building his people up so we could see where making coffee fits, <laughs> so we could see where leading a community group fits. So making coffee doesn't seem very, very cool or very like fit, fitting in God's purposes. And you know, we, we don't need it, but we want it. And it makes, it, makes, uh, it, it makes fellowship easier, I think. I love coffee. I think the coffee is going to be great in heaven. I think it helps fellowship. And so, so like, if you think about it, if we're an outpost in this world, um, think about how, how um, soldiers need to be fed and soldiers need to have camaraderie and soldiers need to have... Um, these, these, this, this, this fellowship with one another so that they could be encouraged to go out. That's all coffee is. It's a tool to encourage one another. It's just a simple tool. We don't need it, but we have it because God's blessed us with money and resources to do it. But it's supposed to fill and feed and, and, and push the bigger purpose, or we should throw it out. That's just one example. Um, so thank you, people who make coffee. Thank you. Um, so, so we're going to continue this. Like, so, 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 uh, here's how you know if you're too busy to serve. You know, sometimes if you have gifts and you're not using them. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and if God has given you gifts and talents and you're too busy to use them in church, you're too busy. That's how you know. Because you're not living out of your identity as a royal priest, a servant who builds God's church. Most of us only have the capacity to be about building one kingdom at a time. So let me just get a little bit practical, and, and we'll close here soon. There are a couple pathways to serve at WCC. If you're new here and you've already decided that WCC is your home, this expression of God's church here, this local expression is going to be your home, um, or you've decided that a while ago, um, you, you can start serving right away. There's many areas we need service, uh, the nursery and hospitality, event setup, uh, coffee, other things. Um, that, that you can just start serving and, and make this your home. And, and, and yes, you can belong as long as you want. You can be here as long as you want and not serve. We, we welcome you. But if you are a child of God, if you are his, his possession, his treasured possession, your follower of Jesus, it's your identity to serve. And so if you can't serve here, you got to find a home where you can. That's my encouragement, exhortation to you. Ta- talk to one of our... Um, 
Talk to one of our pastors, community group leaders, someone who looks like they know what's up, and they will get you plugged in to service. Uh, any discipling teaching ministry, however, in the church, must um, someone must go through biblical distinctives because we want to make sure that um, the purpose of biblical distinctives is just that, that we can lock arms on doctrines so, so you can be assured and we can be assured that we are linked together, and it's what makes this church distinctive from the church down the road, where we can partner and we can serve together, and we can... Um, so if you go through biblical distinctives, you can serve in a teaching or discipling ministry. You can serve on the worship team and other places. So yes, it's a requirement, but it's a good thing. It's not a burden. It's a fun thing. And so if, if you haven't done that yet, talk to John Cubbinger, a pastor, John Cubbinger, about that. It, um, there's a class going on right now. There's 25 people in that class. I think it's the biggest class ever. Um, and it might be too late to sign up, but I don't know. Talk to, talk to John Cubbinger. I think they only have one class or two classes underway. Like right now, actually, is the second one. Once completed, you can serve in virtually every area in the church. There are many, many areas we have need. Need is not the problem here. Out of those four things, need is not the problem here. We have need, okay? It might look like everything's covered. It's not. There's, there's, in my opinion, there's people who, this church serves so much, there's people who are serving maybe too much because someone else hasn't filled that space, or maybe they haven't got out of the way. I don't know, but there's always a need. So let me read really quickly. There's a list of, of all these areas. So if anything piques your interest, talk to me, talk to one of the pastors. Um, there's building maintenance. There's the care team uh, talking about security for our place. And there's the compassion team, which is benevolence and care for material needs of the body. There's event building up and tearing down. There's, there's a financial advisory team. There's, there's foster children ministry. There's greeting ministry. There's a hospitality ministry. There's men's ministry that needs, John, John uh, Cubbager is now overseeing the men's ministry, just a new thing. I don't know if I'm, uh, I don't know if that, if I needed, I, it's too late. I released it. It's the cat's out of the bag. Um, he, he's going to oversee it. He needs men to partner with him. So if that's interest, if, if, you, if you're interested in that and you're a man, I think it's a requirement. You must be a man, sorry, uh, to, to join him in the men's ministry. Uh, there's prayer. There's serving our schools. There's serving seniors, women's ministry, worship arts, and so on, youth ministry, middle school and high school ministry. There's children's ministry. So all those, uh, if you're interested, there's always need in there. So um, we understand that for some of you, it's really hard to take a nine-week class, um, but we still want you to serve and um, get plugged in. So again, talk to one of us. There are places that you can just serve right now, and we know there's a season, and there's totally grace. Don't feel guilty at all if that's you. Um, don't feel guilty. And it's not as daunting as you think. Um, John's a nice guy. He, he, he makes it interesting. It's fun. You get to meet new people. The tribe of Levi, the priests in the Old Testament, weren't given an inheritance of land. All the other tribes were given a portion of the promised land, Israel, as an inheritance. The priests were dispersed. All they had were cities of refuge dispersed around, and they could live wherever, but they didn't have an inheritance of land. Scripture says that God was their inheritance. They survived off of the food and the offerings people brought into the temple. That was their lot. Can you imagine making your living off of people's sin? You know, like that's how you ate, because people brought bulls and lambs to be sacrificed. That's how you ate. That was their inheritance. That was their lot. We are the same. We're a kingdom of priests. This is not our home. We're sojourners passing through. God is our inheritance. The enemy would love it if we just served to build up WCC, but WCC is not our home. We served, if we served WCC rather than God's purposes, the enemy would love that. So let me 
be careful here. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, we want, to, we want people to build with gold, silver, and precious stones, things that won't burn up, rather than wood, hay, and straw, things that will burn away. The expansion next door, the children's ministry, the worship arts ministry, the teaching ministry, the hospitality ministry, it's just about, if it's just about building WCC, uh, we're not living out of our identity in God's kingdom, but ours. May that never be said of us. It's likely that we're all doing stuff That we're doing stuff that's not necessary. Dan mentioned it last week. We don't need a platform. We don't need a band up front. I mean, a lot of these things aren't just, they're kind of described but not prescribed for the church. We don't need coffee. We don't need children's ministry. I grew up in a church where children had to sit in the service and just dealt with it. Um, And it was okay. We made it. We survived. It was good. Um, so, so, like, we're probably doing some things that aren't, like, necessary for God's kingdom or necessary that people be saved. It may be stuff that just makes us more comfortable, honestly. If you see something, here's, 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 here's an exhortation. If you see something, uh, challenge the pastors on it. Yes, I'm inviting that. If you see something we're not doing that we could be, that in your opinion would help further God's purposes, then tell us tell us. If you see something we're not doing that we could do better, tell us. The mantle responsibility is on us as pastors to kind of see what the needs are and to, and to, to, to know what we should be busy about and what we shouldn't be busy with. It's our, it's our responsibility, but we want to hear from you always. You're, you're priests with us. Um, but I know I speak for all of our pastors. We, we only want to be about God's kingdom work and not WCC's kingdom work. It's likely that we don't have a monopoly on all wisdom and insight in this, in this room. Uh, and so you are fellow kingdom priests with us building God's temple. Tell us, please, what you see. Let me pray. There's more to come after, the, after we sing, but let me pray as the band comes up to close our gathering together. Dear God, we, um, we just thank you for this expression of, of your living, holy, um, beautiful temple. We thank you for this expression of your royal priesthood, God, that we are, um, our identity is that we can share your rule in this world. And we, you, you, for some reason, God, you want us as your image bearers to share your rule and expansion of this world and that more people would come to know you. Lord, that's what we want to be about as a church. Um, everything we do, we want it to be towards that end. So Lord, would you help us? We need your help with that endeavor. Um, Lord, um, Thank you so much for this church and each servant here, each, each priest, each royal priest in this temple, this living temple. Thank you for their service. Um, God, thank you for just the sacrifice and all the effort and time and energy that goes into this. Lord, if there's any, if there's any conviction uh, brought by, this, by these words and this, the, your word, Lord, I pray that it be by your spirit. Um, and I pray that there, that'd be the only motivation for change, not um, any guilt or anything um, that I, maybe I, I misspoke or whatever. Lord, I pray that that would be true, that just by your spirit, God, would you, would you convict us as a church where we need to be better at about, about your purposes and not ours? So God, um, we need you for that. So go before us, and, um, and as, we, as we just close our service, Lord, we just praise you, Jesus, as our cornerstone.
Thank you.